Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, April 6th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news and answering some listener questions in the mailbag. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And writers Y. Trembui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hi. All right, so the only news item we have to discuss involves Justice League. And uh, HT, you wrote about this this morning. We've been talking a lot uh, over the past, what, year at this point about uh, some allegations that Ray Fisher has made against Joss Whedon, who stepped in to direct the reshoots of that movie. And now, you know, things have gotten a little bit clearer in that picture. What, what do we know? Yeah, Ray Fisher has been uh, involved in an ongoing back and forth between, uh, well, it's actually no, no longer ongoing because Warner Brothers has closed the investigation, but it has been involved in an uh, back and forth between Warner Brothers for the past about year now, most of it which has played out um, through social media as well as articles that have been um dropped by both Ray Fisher and uh, Warner Brothers. And it's been a saga that we've covered extensively, like you said, but it's also been, while illuminating, especially in regards to Ray Fisher's allegations of onset abuse by Joss Whedon, it's also been very opaque. There hasn't been a lot of details that Ray Fisher has shared specifically about what that abuse entailed and what he uh, specifically went through with Whedon, as well as Jeff Johns, John Berg, other Warner Brothers executives. And he finally did his first sit-down interview uh, to talk about the details of this of his, his allegations of this case uh, with The Hollywood Reporter. And I encourage you to read the entire Hollywood Reporter uh, piece because it goes into a lot of detail and uh, gives more of uh, a direct um, POV from Ray Fisher's point of view. So uh, from this uh, report, though, we learn a couple of uh, pretty horrible uh, sort of facts, like revelations. Uh, first of which is that um, Joss Whedon reportedly threatened 
Gal Gadot's career um, in her own clash with the director. Uh, Gal Gadot had actually alluded to this kind of relationship earlier, saying back in December 2020 that her experience with Whedon was not the best one. But uh, that is definitely an understatement based on the Hollywood Reporter report. Uh, Apparently, um, Whedon pushed Gal Gadot to record lines that she didn't like, uh, threatened to harm Gadot's career, and disparaged Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins. And this led to uh, Gadot and Jenkins uh, going to battle uh, against Whedon, culminating in a meeting with then Warner Brothers uh, Entertainment CEO Kevin Sujihara. And uh, the only statement that Gadot has, has released on the matter is, I had my issues with Whedon and Warner Brothers, uh, handled it in a timely manner. Timely manner. So uh, Ray Fisher himself didn't go into details about it. He said he'd prefer that Gadot would be able to do that on her own. But um, based on the report and based on like witnesses to this production, this is uh, how it all went down with, with Gal Gadot. So let me ask you, uh, HT, what you think about this, because um, we've seen now uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, which is uh, markedly different than Joss Whedon's cut in many different ways. Um, But I think even with, uh, I guess, restoring Zack Snyder's full vision here, um, I I would say that the Wonder Woman that appears in the Snyder cut is still significantly different than the Wonder Woman that shows up in Patty Jenkins movies. And it sort of seems like part of the clash that was going on here between Gal Gadot and Joss Whedon involved uh, a consistency of her character. So, uh, you know, across all these movies. So what do you think about that? Yeah, uh, there is, uh, I I think that, yeah, like, like you said, in the Zack Snyder cut, uh, that character is still different than the one that we see in Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman. And apparently it was Godot who expressed uh, concerns that her character was being more aggressive in the Whedon version of Justice League than her character was in Wonder Woman. But uh, we saw there's some some aspects of that too in the Zack Snyder cut. So I do think that you could visibly see Gal Gadot being more um, invested in her performance in the Snyder version um, versus in the Whedon version. But that's also, you know, based on your own interpretation. So, um, yeah, I, I think that maybe it's it's too much like kind of gray area to read into yourselves. You know, it's like not nothing that is all expressly confirmed. So like anything I would say is what feels like it would be conjecture at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then there was something else uh, about that Ray Fisher had to say about uh, his cyborg character and some clashes that he had behind the scenes too, right? Yeah, he went into detail specifically with his clash of, with this clash with Jeff Johns over the depiction of cyborg. Uh, he had uh, voiced concerns about the changes to cyborg's character arc um, with uh, Joss Whedon and that kind of just got ignored but he mostly talked about how he and Jeff Johns um, uh, butted heads over the depiction of Cyborg which uh, was generally darker uh, and more frank, more along the lines of Frankenstein's monster uh, in the Zack Snyder version and Jeff Johns apparently told Fisher to play the character less like Frankenstein and more like a kind-hearted Quasimodo which Fisher took umbrage with uh, playing a character as a jovial cathedral cleaning individual, uh, quote unquote. And um, he said, Fisher also said that um, his creative input felt like it was uh, ignored by higher ups in favor of um, uh, notes from the mostly white men who were in charge, including discussions from uh, John Berg and Toby Emmerich about having an quote unquote angry black man at the center of the film, uh, Mm. referring to the character's dour attitude and the fact that Cyborg uh, quote unquote smiled only twice in the movie. But yeah, that whole 
line of of discussion is very very problematic um and then perhaps most emblematic of this conflict is the issue of cyborg's infamous booyah line which apparently was a great source of conflict um more so than you would think amongst fisher whedon the Warner Brothers executives, uh, apparently it was the Warner Brothers executives who specifically pushed for this uh, because Booyah is a, um, a catchphrase mostly known for uh, that for the character in Teen Titans. He doesn't utter it, as far as I know, in the comics or in other depictions. But because Teen Titans version is so popular, um, the Warner Brothers higher ups really wanted to have uh, Ray Fisher's version do his own take on this. And uh, they had apparently pushed put this to Zack Snyder too. And he had done his thing by putting it in an Easter egg, sort of like in signs, but not actually as a line of dialogue. And during Whedon's version, they um, he uh, they eventually like pushed Fisher to be able to say this line, uh, which he was very unhappy about because he noted that no other character in Justice League had a catchphrase and that it seemed weird to have on- the only black character say that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a, it does, it's, it's a, it's a whole big thing. There's actually like a whole um, sort of, anecdote about that specifically like with the uh, fisher and uh, going to dinner with um was it hasushihara well, one of the warner brothers executives and how apparently they were all really invested in getting this line uh in the in the film <laughs> that is really wild yeah there's this moment where um I, it says uh jeff johns's representative says the entire studio believed the booyah line was a quote-unquote fun moment of synergy and i read that and i was like wait a second, what are they talking about? And I had to do sort of a deep dive into the cyborg character to realize that, you know, like you said, that the character in Teen Titans says the phrase Booyah. There's a video on YouTube of him saying it like 50 times across the course of that series or something, which I guess makes sense. But like the the idea that this iteration of this character would say that in really any context in, in this Justice League movie, uh, yeah, I can I can totally understand why Ray Fisher did not want to say that because it doesn't really seem in keeping with this iteration of the character. Um, so yeah, I guess this that whole thing, like you said, it's very emblematic of like the the clash between like the the um, individual artistic interpretation of of what an actor is trying to do with a character, and then like you know uh, butting up against corporate interests and um, you know trying to, to squeeze catchphrases into the movie I would also argue that uh, Aquaman's my man is is kind of a catchphrase but uh, you know, I guess I that's mean, it was a, a catchphrase after the fact because everyone <laughs> latched onto it and it's a great catchphrase <laughs> right. okay all right uh, I think that's going to bring us to the end of the the news section here so let's dive into the mailbag um, before we get into the the real body of these responses. I wanted to point out to the listeners that we got a few responses uh, from people uh, in a previous segment that we did. We talked about how to curate watch lists and how we go about, you know, selecting things and the whole process of what we do every night when we're trying to figure out what to watch. Um, We got two pretty good responses here. One of them is insanely long and um, it's from uh, Andreas from Sweden. And I'm not going to read that entire thing, but I would really encourage everybody to just like, you know, pull up the the show notes and uh, and glance through this thing because it is incredibly detailed. And uh, if there's anybody out there who has like a, you know, a super organized personality and is looking for, you know, maybe the most detailed 
uh, method of tracking what you watch and trying to figure out what to watch in the future, that email is is the way to do it. I'm not going to read that entire thing because we would be here for like five hours if, <laughs> if I read that entire email. It's very long. Uh, but Jason from Edmonton, Canada said, uh, let's see, I'll, I'll try to, to uh, give just the, the highlights of his, uh, his response here, which was, um, it basically it would get too late and he and his wife would end up watching nothing because they'd spent so much time trying to pick something out. He says, uh, to help with that, I started keeping my own list of movies. This wasn't using the in-service cues, which I found more anxiety inducing than anything. This was just a simple Excel file I had quick access to and could update easily. Basically, anytime we saw a movie that looked interesting or we mentioned an old movie that we would like to watch, I'd throw it on the list. Um, when it came time to, or comes time to watch a movie, I hit an online random number generator and whatever row comes up, we watch. It totally cuts out the indecision and it has an awesome element of surprise to it. It's like opening a movie present. So, uh, I thought that was kind of a cool idea. Just like, you know, adding the, the randomizer, uh, random number generator into the mix and, um, and looking at it like, uh, a present, a gift that you're, that you're given every night, um, just, you know, from selections that you're interested in anyway. So that's a cool way to go about doing it. All right. So let's get into the, the actual mailbag here. Uh, Matthew M from New Haven, Connecticut says, what are some of your favorite movie watching snacks and beverages either at home and or in the theater? Do you have any favorite movies that are about food and what are some of your favorite food-related scenes in movies that are not otherwise specifically about food? So, uh, Jacob, let's start with you. Um, maybe let, go through all three of these things and hit me with your uh, with your answers here. All right, I'll start with uh, I'll start at the top. Favorite movie watching snacks and beverages. I mean, I'm I'm a simple man. I like popcorn and soda. Uh, but however, I like this mix of sweet and savory. Like if, if you give me a big um, a big bag of peanut butter M&M's poured into a very big bowl of buttery, salty popcorn with a side of Coke. I am as happy as you can be while watching a movie. Uh, I just, like I said, it's very simple. If you make, if you drop on the floor of your home, not a big deal. You can eat it blind, not have to worry about it. No forks and knives. That's my number one main rule for truly perfect movie <laughs> eating. Let's see. But favorite movies that are about food. Uh, I'll go with an obvious one. I think that uh, Ratatouille scratches that itch for me i think that movie is looks delicious i can practically smell it when i watch it and i love how it equates you know cooking with uh art i love that it is very much a a movie that's that, that tries to get to the bottom of how we make art how we appreciate art and understands that cooking is you know just as viable in that realm you know as writing or acting or directing or, or painting and mm-hmm. i think I think is a great movie for a lot of reasons, but that's one of them. And finally, I'm 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 going to beat Chris to the punch. I think Chris and I have the same answer for favorite food related scene in a non food movie, and that is the scene in Goodfellas where they make the Italian dinner in jail, and there's a close up of the razor blade cutting garlic very very thin. And I cannot think of another an, another movie where I just watch that scene and think about seeing this get hungry. I, I <laughs> want to eat that prison pasta so badly. <laughs> All right, well, Chris, let's go to you and see if uh, maybe you can come up with something else on the fly if Jacob did indeed steal your answer there. What about, uh, just go run through these three questions for me, if you would. Um, All right, so I'm going to get controversial here and say I do not like eating while watching a movie. And I know this is, I've said this before to people and they they act like I literally just told them I like killed a bunch of babies. But (laughs) I just, I'm sorry, I don't really like eating while watching movies. And I wish... People would not eat around me. There's nothing worse than being in a movie theater and someone's like, 
rustling a bag of like candy and then they're like crunching that candy i was gonna ask you about this chris like uh, let's get to the heart of this is it because of the 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 noise and all of the movement associated yes, with it's food? exactly okay. that and it's also like i'm not talking about like alamo draft house which uh, other issues aside they actually have real food but if you go to like an amc they have like shitty like chicken tenders and it just smells awful mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. people will like order that and sit around me and they're just eating like crappy nachos with like cheese whiz and I could just smell it and it just like stop it get out of here I just <laughs> uh, uh, I hate it so that's my answer <laughs> so what about at home Chris do you eat any anything at home when you're you know just watching a movie like by yourself or just with your wife or something no get okay. out of here no <laughs> all, right. all right good I'm glad you have like a hard line stance on this all right so I just feel like you don't you should there are people who are like I can't watch something without eating it's like come on you really like, <laughs> it's like two hours you can't you can't stop eating for two hours anyway <laughs> all right so favorite movies that are about food any that come up oh uh, man like uh, I mean Goodfellas is obviously it's not about food but that Goodfellas pick would be on mine um Tampopo is that I don't know if I'm saying it right oh, yeah that's a great food movie. You stole Bit- my one, Chris. Yeah, take that. Uh, <laughs> Big Night, which is a movie Ben mentioned recently on the water cooler, is a great food movie. Uh, it's not a movie, and this is kind of a questionable answer, but I feel like Hannibal is a great food program. Like, yes, technically he's eating people, but the, the way they show <laughs> him preparing the 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 you know the body parts he's serving up is so like gorgeous and just wonderful looking, and and you're you know. I don't even eat meat to begin with, but I'm, you know, when I watch Hannibal, I'm like, you know what? I would eat that, that man's liver. It looks pretty good. I, I agree with you, Chris. I always get hungry after Hannibal and it made me feel like I was going crazy. Right. And how do you feel about Ray Liotta's brain in the Hannibal Well, that's what TV I was going to say next for my, for my great food scene that isn't in a movie about food. It would be the Hannibal movie where Anthony Hopkins serves Ray Liotta his own brain and he eats it and Ray Liotta is like that's good while eating his brain so there wow. you go those are my picks <laughs> that's such a Chris answer <laughs> so that's great okay um I'm trying to think if I have anything here I Jacob you mentioned peanut butter M&Ms those are my favorite so I guess I would I would say that for a, a snack I don't really I, I I'm like boring when it comes to drinking during movies I don't have like a go-to soda or anything um, favorite movies that are about food. I would say maybe the trip, uh, quadrilogy. As you guys oh, yeah. took my choices. Now I have nothing. <laughs> oh, sorry. HT. Um, and then the first thing that came to mind, the food related scene in a movie that isn't about food is the, uh, the food fight in hook, which, um, I know the hook is a controversial movie around here. I think Brad and I are, are very much on team hook and everybody else is kind of like, ah, this is one of Spielberg's worst movies. Um, but I, I think that scene, uh, especially in, you know, if you put yourself in sort of a childhood, uh, mentality is, uh, just the the colors of it and like like what gotta, even is a lot of that food? It makes no sense, but it, gotta, it really. <laughs> I gotta point this out. I saw Hook when I was a kid at like my cousin's house, and like my aunt was watching it with us, and we were all like, "Wow, that food looks good." And my aunt was like, "It's play doh, all right." Like just like <laughs> killing our childhood. Like oh, man. we were like, "Wow, this is so magical." And she was like, "Look, it's play doh, all right. You can't eat that." And that's. <laughs> Man, what a bummer. Because I feel like I spent like hours as a kid just like fantasizing about what kind of food that even could be. Um, so to have your uh, your My imagination aunt. crushed like that. Yeah. Is, uh... Sorry. Sorry, Ben. It's Play-Doh. 
<laughs> All right, uh, HTL, let's go to you. Any uh, answers for these that we haven't already stolen out from under you? Well, I had two great ones, which was the trip and um, Tampopo, which I love. And uh, it's actually my, one of my favorite, my mom's favorite movies. And I watched that and I, and it was just so absurd and surreal. And, but also this just love letter to food. Oh, I, don't know. I, don't know. I can't think of other ones. Okay, the trip to Italy, the trip to Spain there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good enough, good enough. What about your, your own um, snacking or, or drinking habits while watching stuff? I am also a basic, can I say bitch? Yeah, I'm a basic bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I love popcorn. I uh, just love good you know, butter popcorn or salt popcorn. I love to eat during movies. It just makes me feel comfortable. I don't know what it is. I just like to settle back and eat like some popcorn. Nothing else, just popcorn. I, <laughs> I won't eat anything like I sometimes like my, I'll get nachos but I'm not like not a fan of that I, I, popcorn is my my um, ride or die and uh, I don't like to get too much butter either because then it makes me feel sick so it's just like the basic very basic butter popcorn or salt popcorn and um, I'm pretty sure like I just love popcorn so much that I'm I'm faintly positive that like I became a, a movie critic or started writing about movies because I love popcorn so much <laughs> wow I adore it but I'm also yeah not I don't like to my any divert like you know, variations on popcorn. I don't like, you know, caramel popcorn or anything like that. I don't like the se- sweet and salty you things. Like, you know, like kettle corn? What's that? I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> a big tin. That's all I know. There's big tins you get at Christmas. They got like three oh, types yeah. of popcorn in it. I, like I got cheddar. that once and I ate all of the like plain popcorn and then I left everything else and just started to coagulate into this gross thing and I ended up throwing it away. <laughs> so yeah, that's my popcorn story. <laughs> Okay. Um, um, I just then- want to also just throw in here real quick while we're talking about food stuff that The Irishman is a great food movie. There's like multiple scenes where they're like eating stuff and Robert De Niro is narrating what they're eating. And that's yeah, just, I thought you were going to mention stuff. that, Chris, with the steak I forgot scene. about it until just now, but there's where he's talking about like the hot dogs, uh, they're like cooked in beer and it's, you know, I, I don't eat meat anymore, so I have to live vicariously through movie characters. You can dip, the, you can dip for bread and wine. Yes, that, I love that, the, the bread and the wine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I should mention this. I, I totally blanked this on my section, but I will say, seeing Jean Favreau's chef at Alamo Draft House, where I was not ordering food, the scene where where he makes the grilled cheese sandwich mm-hmm. in the middle of the night, uh, I saw more people start writing down food orders at the draft house during right after that scene than I've ever seen in my life. Like everybody in the theater started ordering food right after that moment. I think the chef may have sold more food than any other movie <laughs> ever air or ever screen at a movie theater. Wow. Uh, um, lastly, for I, I think I forgot to say the fav- favorite food related scenes in movies that aren't specifically about food. Um, I just want to give a shout out to like Studio Ghibli food scenes i don't know what it is but every time they animate the food it looks much more delicious than food in real life uh the breakfast scene in house moving castle the eggs look amazing (laughs) eggs bacon who thought it it would look so delicious and then the um the egg sandwich scene in castle in the sky all the food scenes in spirited away except until like the spirit starts throwing it all up um (laughs) uh (laughs) And speaking of animated foods that look much better than they do in real life, do you guys remember? I think it was American Tail, where they like a mouse like dips a cracker in water or milk, and it looks like the most delicious, perfect dip ever, and the most delicious, perfect bite ever. You know, I, huh. I think it was American Tail. I don't Tales. have a specific remember, uh, memory of that 
movie. I was much more of a uh, an American Tale Five Will Goes West oh, kid yes. growing up. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those. It was something with a mouse dipping in a cracker in either milk or water, and I was like, "That looks like the most delicious cracker ever." <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So our next one um, is specifically for Chris. And uh, if I had the old Chris's advice corner music, I might throw that in here. I don't know if I can find that, but yeah, if I can, to that. I don't know. Bring that back. <laughs> uh, maybe if I find it, I'll insert it right here. And I probably didn't. So I, you probably just heard <laughs> nothing. So sorry about that. Uh, this is from Yerbal from the Bay Area. He says, Chris, oh dear Chris, I've been noticing that our tastes in movies and shows often are the same. Uh, I was curious, what are your thoughts on this Nordic style horror thriller genre? Have you watched Fortitude on Prime or Trapped and Black Spot on Netflix? Or perhaps The Head, an HBO Max original? So let's pause there. And Chris, have you? Uh, what do you think about this, the Nordic style horror thriller? And have you seen any of those aforementioned shows? Man, I hate to let this person down because they're so nice to write into me and, and say, Chris, oh dear Chris, but I have not even like heard of these movies. So I don't, okay. know, I don't know what these are. I, I'm, I'm sorry to say. Uh, Jacob, what about you? Have you uh, dipped your toe into those waters? Uh, unfortunately, the, the, the truth is that if Chris has not seen it in horror, then I probably have not seen it either. <laughs> okay. And I, actually, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing... Gonna, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I talked over you a whole bunch, Ben. But no. I'm going to say I'm going to make my mission to check this out because I, I do like icy horror. Oh, yeah. So, uh, HG, have you seen any of these by any chance? I've, I've never heard of any of these either. I have not seen any of these. I feel like I heard of The Black Spot, but that's the only one I can vaguely recognize. I do want to give a shout out to that one viral video that was going around that was speaking about Nordic, Nordic uh, murder mysteries. Uh, have you guys seen this? The oh, yes. Gunnar yeah, I did. Video? This doesn't have yeah. to do with anything at all, but just made me think of that immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe if we can find that video, I'll put a link to it in the show notes so people know what we're talking about. Uh, all right, so back to this uh, email here. Um, Chris, what are your expectations for the upcoming Antlers movie? Unless you've seen the screener already. I can't wait for it to come out on any platform. I have high hopes. What do you think about Antlers, Chris? Uh, I have not seen the screener. I wish I had. So uh, listen up, Mr. Antlers. If you want to email me that screener, please do. But uh, <laughs> I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I read the, the short story it's based on and um based on the trailer the movie is not going to be the same thing as the short story but i'm i'm really interested in it i think it looks visually it looks great it just looks moody and miserable like me so i'm looking forward <laughs> to it i i i was disappointed that was one of the many movies i was disappointed got bumped because of covid that and uh candy man and a few more and i i really hope to see them soon Okay. And then uh, uh, Yerbel says, on top of that, I've not heard you talk about Servant, the Apple TV Plus original produced by M. Night Shyamalan. Have you seen it? I think it's pretty dope. All the fine wine consumption on top of the suspenseful storyline, the acting is top notch as well. Chris, have you seen Servant? Have you, I think you, I feel like you reviewed the first season, didn't you? I did. I reviewed it on uh, SlashFilm.com. I have not watched the second season yet because I didn't really love the first season. The first season was visually... Uh, great it was full of like it was like raining all the time and uh shadowy and it was it's because it's a night Shyamalan production it's set in philadelphia so all those things push my buttons uh that said the show was very it was too vague for its own good it's not like a it's not what i would call like a mystery box show but it's a show that plays its cards very close to the vest and that's fine but you got to give me something and the show felt like it was trying really too hard to like be like mysterious. Like we're going to, you know, we're not going to tell you anything. Um, mm -hmm. That said, I've heard 
good things about season two. So I probably will eventually get around to checking it out. But uh, I, I've seen the first season. I think it's okay. Okay. And then uh, Yerbel finishes his email by joking that, Chris, you should give him your phone number because he has a bunch of other questions built up for you and he'll call you and just ask you the rest of them. <laughs> and he makes it clear that he's joking there. Yeah. So uh, that's well, fun. Feel free to email me. Don't, no one should ever call me. I don't want to talk to anyone on the phone. Like when my family members call me, I like hit the button that sends it to voicemail. I don't want to talk to anyone, but by all means, you can feel free to email me or at me at Twitter. I'm, I'm happy to talk via, via texting without actually having to open my mouth. That's my favorite way of talking. Uh, and then I, I was fascinated by this. Yerbal also put in a, a PS here and I, I don't, I, I confess that I don't remember this, but he says it's been two years or so since the last time I wrote in, my son is now four years old and I'm choosing to show him anything that interests him, whether it's age appropriate or not, nothing is off the table, <laughs> but, uh, man, just this concept is so wild to me. Uh, he says, um, but I, I'm explaining the scary and new concepts to him. Like, I would to an adult. So far, he's seen parts of It Chapter One and parts of the uh, the original Ghostbusters and the reboot. He's very cool about it. Um, so I, I'm guessing Yerbal wrote into us a couple years ago and, and maybe asked probably uh, specifically from you, Chris, advice in terms of like, you know, what to show a young child uh, growing up. So I, I love the idea that this is a, a follow-up email. <laughs> Just the idea that like nothing is off the table, like whatever this kid wants to watch, uh, Yerbal is just throwing it in front of him, just giving him context, like nothing else. That, man, that's great. I love that. Um, okay. So then our, our final um, uh, mailbag question today comes from uh, William Van Beek from Green Bay, Wisconsin, is how he, is how he wrote that. Uh, okay, hello all. A couple weeks ago, Chris mentioned the two Hitler biographies, and based on his recommendation, I'm going to get the audiobooks through Audible. But my question is, what audiobooks or just regular books would you recommend? Specifically, what movie-based books do you all like? I've already done Space Odyssey, the 2001 Space Odyssey movie book, and Clash of the Titans, and I have the Peter Jackson and the Making of Middle Earth and taking shape one and two in my wish list. So I thought this would be a good question for, well, all, all three of you, uh, really, because I know that you guys read a lot. And um, uh, HTL, let's start with you, because I feel like Chris and Jacob are probably going to have a lot of movie-related stuff. But do you have any movie-based uh, books that that jump out to you here? Oh, I don't. I unfortunately don't read a lot of books about making movies, uh, I, the exception of which I like were books that I read back in college so I feel like the ones that I recommend are just ones that people have already read so like the Francois, the Francois Truffaut Hitchcock interview was one of my favorites and I go back to that one a lot um I don't know I, I yeah I, I can't I feel like I'm not really good for recommending movies uh, books about making movies um, or what about um what about books that uh have been adapted into movies do you have any like favorites in in that genre not to put you completely on the spot books actually, that have been not... adapted to movies like all of books yeah <laughs> yeah I, uh, I mean like, like my go-to answer would probably be the princess bride just because i loved reading that and i thought it was it was a great adaptation but also the book had a couple little extra things that sort of filled out the story really well so i i just uh that that has become my sort of go-to answer and if you don't have a go-to answer in that category that's totally fine we can just move on but i mean i do love that book it's a great and really fast read uh really mm -hmm. funny still has like the satirical tone that you get in the movie um actually my first thought about this before i realized it was about making movies um i my a go-to audiobook that i really enjoyed is uh the lord of the rings 
uh, audiobook by Phil Dragash. I think I've talked about this before on the podcast that I was going through this entire thing. And it's an unofficial audiobook, but it's read by uh, Phil Dragash, who goes through the entire uh, trilogy and basically does it almost like an audio drama. So it has like the full effects of of sound and um, clashing of swords and uh, wow. uh, talking in the background. It's it's a really like it's a really great extensive like audiobook um experience of lord of the rings if you ever for example just balked at reading J.R. tokens uh very dense tomes i would recommend this version because it's almost as close to that that like theatrical like movie experience as you can get with the book hmm. okay that's great um all right so uh jacob let's go to you what what um movie-based books do you uh have in your you have a, like a huge library in your house with tons of books i'm sure there's a lot of movie-based ones in there right yeah i have far 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 too many um so i'm gonna recommend some i think are absolutely top tier and i don't know if he's more interested in in books about direct making of movies or ones that are more about hollywood in general so i'm gonna go veer toward the latter for this and i'll i'll start with a big list of, of books I think if read in order or even out of order, really paint a picture of how Hollywood is, how it is now. So here are some titles, uh, Hit and Run, which is about uh, Sony buying uh, Columbia Pictures and handing the reins to John Peters and Peter Goober and how they just ended up taking that studio for a disastrous ride in the early 90s. It's a, it's fascinating. Uh, followed up with The Devil's Candy about the making of the movie The Bonfire, The Vanities, hmm. uh, which is a fascinating and biting look at how a cinematic disaster gets made like in excruciating detail i tried to watch that movie one time jacob and i could not make it more than like 20 or 25 minutes in then you should read the devil's candy the book and learn, <laughs> and learn why it was so unwatchable okay uh, disney war about the struggle for control of disney between michael eisner and everybody else is an incredible look at how disney went from being a company in crisis to uh being what it is now uh, the Men Who Would Be King is almost a direct sequel to Disney War in many ways with the formation of DreamWorks pictures full of big personalities clashing and a lot of juicy behind-the-scenes stories. And and all this with The Big Picture, which is a, a book about modern-day Hollywood and how we got there. These books really are like you know, a, the best way to understand the past 30 years of Hollywood history. Uh if you don't want, if none of these sound interesting, I will recommend anything to Mark Harris. I wrote, I wrote, I talked about Mark Harris's new Mike Nichols biography on the podcast recently. It is even if you don't like Mike Nichols movies. I don't know a lot of Mike Nichols movies. It is fascinating and full of incredible stories about talented people and what it's like to actually work for sixty years in the entertainment industry. Uh, but his first two books, Pictures at a Revolution, which is about the the making of the five films that are nominated for Best Picture at the nineteen sixty seven Academy Awards, is vital. It is an absolutely vital text about uh, new Hollywood. And the precipice on which old Hollywood became new Hollywood. Uh, Picture of Revolution is incredible. Uh, equally incredible is Five Came Back, which is Mark Harris's book about uh, Hollywood film directors who went to World War II, often as filmmakers, and uh, how they made propaganda movies and documentary films for the United States government. And it's this combination of war story plus filmmaking stories. I, I, all three of those books, anything written by Mark Harris, I think is genuinely going to... Uh, 
educate, illuminate, and entertain in equal measure. So those are my recommendations. Awesome. And if for some reason you're still listening to this, but you're not a reader and you're not interested in, you know, book recommendations, uh, Five Came Back was turned into a Netflix documentary series that is really exceptional too. So uh, if you're not interested in reading the book, I would definitely recommend checking out that that documentary series. It's very, yeah, very good. Series is really good. But if you like that, if you've already watched series, don't sleep on the book because the book is that plus, you know, lots more. Cool. All right. So Chris, let's get to you. Any uh, movie-based books that Jacob has now mentioned? I mean, yeah, Jacob took pretty much everything I would have said. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. Those are all great books. But uh, I'll throw out um, Easy, Rider, Ra- Easy Rider's Raging Bulls by Peter Biskind, which is about uh, films in the 1960s and 70s in Hollywood. It is a great kind of gossipy book, but I really like... I'm not like a gossipy person by nature, but I love gossip about movie making if that makes sense i don't you know anything else i'm just like i don't care about gossip but when it's about like behind the scenes movie stuff i'm like oh yeah tell me that gossip so <laughs> so that's that's one uh i'm looking at my, i'm looking at my bookshelf right now so oh uh in the blink of an eye by walter murch who is a, a great editor and that book is just all about the art of editing and i want everyone to read that book because i feel like so many people don't understand what editing is and the, the the common i'm talking about like movie editing specifically and i feel like the, the common refrain i always see is like this movie's too long it needed an editor and like that's not what movie editing isn't about shortening things you know it's 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 a, it's a, a very distinct uh art and i feel like a lot of people just don't understand what it is they literally just think it's like cutting stuff down and uh, it's not. And so this, uh, this book in the blink of an eye is, is a great sort of insight. Uh, Walter Murch is like one of the, the best editors of all time. So you should listen to him. Um, making movies by Sidney Lament is, is a great book where, uh, he's a, Sidney Lament was a filmmaker and he just talks all about making movies from start to finish from, you know, early production meetings all the way up through making the movie. And it's a great little book about, yeah, making movies, obviously. Uh, I feel like an idiot for repeating that over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then finally, uh, this is, um, well, these are these are two different recommendations. One is um, The Oliver Stone Experience by Matt Zoller Seitz. Uh, even if you don't really like Oliver Stone as a filmmaking, I thought this was like a, just a fascinating book that goes through all of Oliver Stone's movies. And then another book uh, Matt Zoller Seitz wrote with uh, Alan Sepinwall, which is called um, The Soprano Sessions, which uh, goes through the entirety of The Sopranos. Um, It's both like an episode guide, like it breaks down every single episode, but it also has interviews with uh, David Chase, the creator, and like interviews with James Gandolfini before he died and stuff like that. And it's it's a great look at how The Sopranos came to be and how it became, you know, one of the most influential shows of all time. So those are some of my picks, plus every, literally everything Jacob said. That's great. Um, okay, I don't really have much to offer uh, in this category. I'll just uh, once again say that William Goldman's Adventures in the Screen Trade is very good. And I talked about that on a previous episode of The Water Cooler. So maybe if you just want to Google like slash film water cooler, water cooler Adventures in the Screen Trade, you'll find that old episode. I don't know what exactly episode number that was or anything. Um, but you can hear me talk uh, a little bit more in depth about that there. But it's a, I mean, it was written in the early 1980s, but um so the the industry has changed considerably since then, uh, but it's still a really fascinating, you know, look uh, sort of behind the curtain from somebody who is actually there and who is able to write in a super accessible way. And I know that that book has served as sort of a 
a Bible for a lot of people um, who, you know, read that book, you know, living in Iowa or whatever, and decided to move out to, to Hollywood and, and try to make it in the industry and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's offered these really vital, um, really straightforward observations and sort of, uh, it was a great piece of like truth telling and, and cutting away all of the, the myths and the bullshit and, and getting into like the actual uh, nitty gritty of like actually how movies get made. So uh, that is Adventures in the Screen Trade. It's very good. Uh, one more, okay. one more. Yes. Throw one more out. I keep didn't mention this. And it is uh, Steven Spielberg by Molly Haskell. Uh, I use this book a lot when I was doing the 21st Century Spielberg podcast. It's it's a it's both a biography of Spielberg and it also goes through pretty much all of his movies like one by one and the production and you know the behind the scenes stuff and how uh, you know Spielberg's personal life was you know, going on while he was making these movies. So that's a, and that's a really breezy read too. It's, you know, it's, it's you would think a book like that would be longer, but it's not. I, I blew through it in like one day, but that's a, wow. that's a really good book. Okay. All right. I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. And again, please go to the, uh, the show notes and read Andreas from Sweden. His, uh, his very, very detailed breakdown of how he saw or he or she or they uh, select um, what to watch because my mind was kind of blown by this. So I encourage you to read that before you delete this episode from your podcast player. Uh, you can find more about all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slashfilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send us your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns, and uh, more mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.